worshiping, I was struck by the word overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. So we sing these things sometimes, but I sometimes have to say to myself, Phelan, is what you're singing actually your experience? So I'm, say, I'm here this morning and I'm singing, I'm overwhelmed by your love. And I'm saying to myself, are you? What, what does that mean, overwhelmed? And the scripture that came to me actually was when it spoke in the Bible about walking into the water, the river of life, up to your ankles, then up to your knees, then up to your waist. Have you ever had that experience where your feet is firmly on the ground and you're going in the direction you want to go, but then you walk so deep into the water there comes a point where the water lifts you and now you're no longer going the way you want to go. Now you've gone deep enough in to be overwhelmed and carried along by the water. Now that has to be the proper expression of the gospel. The gospel is so good that it must overwhelm us. It must overwhelm us. It must bring us out of a place of trying to get somewhere ourselves and, uh, and be, allow us to be carried along by His strength, by His Spirit. Amen? So open your Bibles at Colossians 2 because we're going to talk a little bit more about this beautiful expression of the power of the gospel and what it is. And I know we come back to this again and again but I want to be overwhelmed. I want to be overwhelmed because I really believe that true worship is a response to what is being whispered to you and what is being shouted from the rooftops. What all of creation is declaring, which is the glory of God and the goodness of God, even as Michael mentioned this morning. This is Colossians 2. I'm going to read you verse 6 and 7. You're very familiar with this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's a bit like overwhelmed, isn't it? Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You know, I read that earlier in the week, and I was struck by the word cheat. Beware lest anyone cheat you. You know, I remember on our first, the first family holiday I can remember us taking, mum and dad took us to Wexford. Anybody been to Wexford? And we went to a, a campsite there, and we had this thing called a trailer tent. It was a trailer you pulled behind your car, and then you, when you stopped, this trailer opened up into a big tent, now, there was mum and dad and seven children, so this had to be a big tent, you know. And uh, I only remember two things from this holiday. I remember dad reading his paper while mum put the tent up. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I think uh, I got my dad's DIY jeans, you know. The second thing I remember is in the middle of this campsite, there was a communal uh, washroom and then a, what was called a games room. And in the games room, there was table tennis and snooker and TV. All that was free once you had booked yourself into the campsite, you know. But one day after we'd been there for about a day, my sis, one of my sisters ran in and said, Dad, Dad, come quick. That's all she said. But she was so anxious that we all got up. We ran after her, right? And we got to the games room. And there was my brother, Fergal, standing outside the games room with a, a jam jar in his hand, and he was charging everybody 5p to get in. <laughs> you know, you know, he's still an entrepreneur to this day. He really is, Fergal, you know. Uh, we couldn't believe it, you know, and he already collected quite a few 5p's. Now, I, now, my sister was really upset by this, and you can, 
You know why? Because there's something terrible about feeling that people are being cheated, you know? People are being cheated. And so really, if somebody is charging you for something that's free, you're being cheated. So why did I tell that story? Because multitudes of people every day find religion standing at the door to the kingdom of God, charging them to get in. And to charge someone for something that's already been paid for is to cheat them. Now, I know that what I'm about to say you've heard before. <laughs> I don't mind. Because <laughs> I know that the whole world points you to you and infers that you need to do something to save yourself. That's what everything's going to tell you once you go outside that door, from the TV to the radio to all your family and friends. What are you doing to get yourself sorted? So I don't mind preaching this beautiful message that never points to you to sort yourself out, but points to Christ. The gospel of God's grace is the only message in the world that is not pointing you to yourself, and therefore it's the only message that's going to set you and I free from trying to save ourselves and that endless, endless cycle of trying to do something to, to save ourselves. And that's because the power of the gospel is that it points to what has been given, not what to needs to be given. It points to what has been given, not to what needs to be given. We've said this before, it's good news, not good advice, because it points to Christ as our salvation and not to us. It speaks of what he has done, not what we should do. And so it speaks of a dream fulfilled, not a hope deferred. Remember we read that scripture two weeks ago, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. So we saw then that to preach the gospel as a dream fulfilled is to preach it as God has already given. And that leads people to the tree of life. But to preach it not as God has already given, but God will give if you do this good thing and avoid the bad thing. That's to lead people to a different tree. That's to lead them to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, have you noticed Genesis, you know, describes the tree that Adam and Eve ate from as the tree of the knowledge of good as well as the knowledge of evil. You see, salvation doesn't come from knowing the right thing to do. Salvation doesn't come from knowing the good thing to do. Genesis 3, in fact, tells us that the deceptive thing about that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was that it looked so good and pleasing and for the desirable, for the gaining of wisdom, that is to know the right thing to do. Just tell me the right thing to do and we'll do it. Isn't that what the people said to God at uh, Mount Sinai? Just you tell us what we'll do and we'll do it. Multitudes of people in this nation grew up in Protestant or Catholic churches hearing every Sunday another sermon on the right thing to do. Every week they were taught about good and evil and exhorted to do the right thing and to avoid the wrong thing. The result? Today, multitudes of them have left the church disappointed and disillusioned because as children, as teenagers, and as adults, no matter how hard they try to avoid the evil and do the good, they never seemed to get anywhere, but always ended up feeling naked and ashamed before God. They never seem to be able to pay enough at God's door to get in. And that's because salvation does not come from knowing the right thing to do. Doing the right things is not the way into the right life. 
The way into the kingdom is not by what you do, but by what Christ has done. The gospel is not a you first message. It is a he first message. As the Apostle John wrote, we only love him because he first loved us. So God does not ask you to do one thing by yourself because he has never done one thing by himself. Oh, that's worth saying again. God does never ask you to do one thing by yourself because he has never done one thing by himself because he's not a by himself God. He's a God in relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit. I love that song that we sang this morning, Father, Son, and Spirit, because we're actually going to be speaking about that aspect of God that reveals to us what salvation really is. That's what I'm going to be sharing this morning. You see, there can be no father without the son. I wasn't a father until I had children. There can be no father if there's no son. And there can be no son if there's no father. Praise God. And there can be no relationship between the father and the son without the spirit. So what I want to show you this morning is that salvation, as God understands it, is not an individual life. But it's a life in relationship. And so any message or philosophy or tradition that points you to yourself and speaks of you as if you can be someone by yourself is cheating you of the life that God has provided for you. For to be saved is to be in relationship with God. In fact, the very relationship that the Son has with the Father. Isn't that beautiful? And it's the Spirit who lifts us up into that relationship. We can't even do that by ourselves. Look at Colossians 2, verse 6 again. It says, As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you means in the same manner that you receive Christ, so walk in Him. So to know how to live this Christian life, we need to know how we received Christ. How did you receive Christ? So if I went around this room this morning and asked people, how did you receive Christ? I guess we'd get a variety of different answers. Some answers would be short, some would be longer, some would be very long. Okay? But among all those answers, there would be a lot of stock phrases that we're all used to. Phrases like this. I asked Jesus into my heart. I made a commitment to Christ. I repented of my sins. I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Do you notice what all those answers have in common? I, I. When people ask us, how did you receive eternal life, the Christ life, we tend to talk about what we did. And that's because for years the gospel has been ministered to us as a you first message. If you first will turn away from the evil thing and do the good thing, the right thing, then God. Then God will give you his salvation. But you know that Jesus was able to explain how you and I receive the life of God in one word. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. Let me read it to you. And as you go, he said to his disciples, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely. You have received freely. Give. One word, as far as God's concerned concerning salvation. Freely. Freely. So, if how we first received him is how we to walk in him, then according to Jesus, there's only one way to walk out this Christ life, and that is the same way we receive Christ, freely. And that truth, freely you have received, is what separates the true gospel from all its religious counterfeits. Like my brother standing at the door charging people to get in. 
Religion will always give you the impression that men must contribute to their own salvation, which is why religion breeds pride and division, boasting. Now, we commonly, when I use the word religion, I know sometimes we use that in a good sense, meaning like, what do you believe, you know? When I use the word religion, what I mean is self-effort, okay? I mean your own self-effort, what you're going to do to make yourself a better person, you know? Freely you have received, freely give. So the clearer we see what Paul declared to the Ephesians, that we have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, the clearer we see that, that we have nothing to boast in, and that the gospel is not the news of what I did to save myself, well, something wonderful happens. Listen to this. When I see that the gospel is not the news of what I did to save myself, then I can stop expressing it to people as the news of what they have to do to save themselves. I'll say that again. When I begin to see that the gospel uh, is not the news of what I did to save myself, then I can stop expressing it as if it's the news of what people have to do to save themselves. So only when I see that Christ has already given all that was necessary for everyone's salvation can I stop sharing the gospel as the news of what people need to do or need to give to God before he will give to them. Now, I know that can sound very strange to our ears because for years we have been brought up with a, a sort of transactional mindset on God. In other words, if we first do this for him, then he will do that for us. And when we think like that, then um, really it means that when we express the gospel in the way that I've just said, it sounds like I'm saying that God has already saved everyone. Okay? And the first thing I want to say about that is, is I believe that's the way the gospel should sound. It should sound like that. It should sound like there's nothing left for you to do, that God has done everything necessary for you to know him, to be saved. And all that is necessary is for you simply to believe not in what you do, but in what he has done. You see? So I guess maybe an answer to uh, how did you get saved, it would be, well, I was saved 2,000 years ago. Praise the Lord. And by the Holy Spirit, I can see it. So I can't say I'm saved because I said this prayer or because I repented enough or because I did this, because I did that. You know what? Because if I believe that, it gives me no rest. Because what if Russian said a better prayer than me? And what if Michael repented better than me? And what if Stephen, you know, he's turned away from evil much better than me, you see? So once you put it on to yourself, you'll never have rest. You'll never come into a deep rest, praise God. So the gospel should sound like that, in that God has done everything necessary for everyone to be saved. And in fact, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God has reconciled the whole world to himself and is now no longer counting people's sins against them. We saw that recently. That's because we believe that John the Baptist wasn't wrong when he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was right. That's exactly what Jesus did. He took away the sins of the world. So the gospel should sound like it is not asking you to do something about your sins, but inviting you to believe in what God and Christ has done about your sins. But if you think that means that everyone is now saved, then we need to have a conversation about what it means to be saved, that word that we use so well. Do you think what you mean by saved is the same as what God means? You see, I think that especially in the Western church, 
People commonly use the word saved simply to refer to where people are going to end up when they die. That's the way we think of that word. Are you saved? In other words, when you die, do you know where you're going to go? Are you going to go here or are you going to go there? That's the way people think of that word saved, you see. Rather than, in fact, salvation being about the life that's birthed and formed from a living relationship. A living relationship. Let me give you a picture of that. Has anybody ever heard of the, the practice of sham marriages? Do you know about sham marriages? Yes. You do? Hope not from personal experience. Okay. Now, we've all heard of a wonderful place called the United Kingdom. And uh, many people want to be a citizen of this kingdom. And one way to become a citizen of this kingdom is to show a, a marriage certificate to the UK authorities that you are married to a citizen of this kingdom. And such a marriage qualifies you for entrance. And that's why some people operate a sham marriage service. You know, I read a few years ago there was a vicar in the Church of England who was prosecuted for organizing sham marriages, you see. Because what he'd do is he'd organize a wedding. Two people would turn up. We didn't even know each other, you know. But one wanted money and one wanted a, a certificate to say they were married. So he'd do the wedding and take a few photographs. Off they'd go. The two of them would part, never to see each other again. And off they'd go. But according to the certificate, they were actually married. Now, if those two people were married to each other, but never actually lived together, never actually had any sort of relationship with each other, would you describe what they have as a marriage? No. In the same way, God does not regard salvation as anything less than a living relationship with him. Let me say that a different way. Grace is not the gift that God gives so that you can continue living by yourself. Grace is not the gift that God gives so you can continue on your merry way by yourself. Because grace is not a thing. Woohoo! Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. Praise God. Jesus Christ. So yes, grace is a gift, but it's not a thing that you receive like a gift left in your doorstep. Now, such a gift left in your doorstep can be a great blessing to you, but it cannot bring you into a living relationship. <coughs> Let me give you an example. Say somebody gives you a new car. Do you know there's a guy who lives next door to my dad and he drives a McLaren. This car apparently is worth £120,000. He's got one of these electronic gates, you know. Sometimes I come to my dad's house and I'm stuck behind him. He's there in the road waiting for his gate to open so he can drive into this car, you know. Imagine if somebody gave you a car like that and they said, I've paid for this car, you don't have to pay for it. Now you might think, now there's a lovely picture of grace. You know, somebody's already paid for what you get for free. No. You know why? You can't have a living relationship with a car. No matter how many boy racers think you can, you can't. You can't have a living relationship with a car. To God, salvation is not like a sham marriage. It's a real marriage. It's a real relationship. God doesn't see the point of being married to someone and not living with them. Isn't that wonderful? I'll say that again. God doesn't see the point of being married to someone and not living with them. Praise the Lord. He knows that life as he knows it, his life is a living relationship. Salvation is to be found living in God's life. And guess what? God's life is a life in relationship. In fact, relationship is so intrinsic to the being of God that if God were not Father, Son, and Spirit, God would not be God. That's worth saying again. Relationship is so intrinsic to God that if God were not Father, Son, and Spirit, God would not be God. 
So salvation that is of God can never be an impersonal state, but a dynamic communion of lives where there's interaction between the two lives. Intimacy, giving, receiving. That's why in John 17, 3, Jesus gave this definition of salvation. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that word know is genosco. And it's not, an, it's not a coincidence that the Hebrew root of that word is a Jewish idiom what describes physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. Praise God. In law, a marriage actually can be annulled if it turns out there's been no such intimacy in the marriage. Relationship is so intrinsic to the being of God that he cannot contemplate salvation without intimacy, without a communion of lives, without a living relationship. Now imagine if I exchanged vows with Nicola on our wedding day and we walked down the aisle and everybody had lots of photographs. We got to the end of the aisle and Nicola turned to me and said, well, that's great now we're married. See you in the by and by. I'm off. <laughs> I would say, hang on a minute. I, I think we've got a wrong idea of marriage. See, I married you uh, not for a hope deferred, but for a dream fulfilled, because my dream is to live with you. That's my dream. That's why I married you. <laughs> it's the same for the father. That's God's dream. He dreamt of living with us. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, Claire said it this morning. We're the apple of his eye. He's absolutely smitten. He's smitten with us, you know. Have you ever had somebody who's smitten about you? Spitting or smitten? If you're not careful, you can get spitting on this morning as well as spitting on. Praise God. The whole point of getting married is that we'd now be living together. My understanding of marriage is a dream fulfilled, not a hope deferred to the by and by. So too, when God desires that all men would be saved, he doesn't mean that all men would one day find themselves in a place called heaven. He means that all men would find themselves in a living relationship with him, that they would find their lives transformed today. Not someday in the by and by, but today by being in relationship, just like each of us are being formed by our relationships together. I think this is wonderful, you know. The more we get closer to each other as, as people, the more we're changed. Isn't that right? God uses each other to affect us. That's why something beautiful about having these tables and staying behind afterwards and getting to know people and going visiting them, you know. Thank God church isn't about one day a week. It's about a life together. You know, because we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can actually find life being birthed out of relationship. That I, I am the person I am for one reason, because of the relationships that have been in my life since I was born. The relationships have made me who I am. I would be nobody apart from relationship. God is nobody apart from relationship. God is Father, Son. No other religion understands this. What do you mean God is three in one? Are you some sort of polytheist? God is one. No, there is no love in one. Relationship is at the heart of God. And so we're built to be relational beings, praise God. And the person who's going to change you most to being relationship with is God. Imagine. I mean, I've been changed by being in relationship with Nicola. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Nicola. What was that? Ah, <laughs> that's right. We had visitors yesterday, so uh, Nicola had me mopping the floor, you know. And the postman came to the door and found me and said, oh, she's got you well trained. <laughs> and Nicola said, if only he knew that was the only time I managed to do it. Anyway, so relationship, praise God, is what changes us, what forms us. And that's why to preach salvation 
as if you're selling afterlife insurance rather than an intimate marriage that will bear fruit is to cheat people out of what God has fully prepared for them. Praise the Lord. Listen to this scripture from Romans 7 verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married. Isn't that beautiful? Married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we would bear fruit to God. You know the fruit of being married to him? His life. Oh my goodness me. Is this beautiful? Salvation is not some sort of fixed state like a statue. Your heart is like a heart of stone like that. God says, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to bring you into a relationship that's going to change you. You see? Because you're changed by what you've believed in your heart. Let me say that in a different way. Salvation is a matter of the heart. It is a transformation of the heart from a stone, that's an unchanging state, to a heart of living flesh. The only confession God wants from our mouths is one that flows from our hearts. And that's why the gospel must be communicated to people in a way that reveals God to be the most extravagant, overwhelming, overwhelmingly generous, loving being that they've ever heard of. One so generous that he's already gone and given everything that needs to be done or given to be married to you. Woo! Because I can only give my heart to a God who loves me for who I am, not for who I could be. That's the way to preach the gospel as if it is the news of what I have to do in order for him to give himself to me is not to present to me a God in love with me, but a God in love with a better version of me. Wouldn't I be heartbroken to discover that Nicola was in love with a better version of me? You know, she's always measuring me, always waiting. You know, always waiting and waiting and waiting for me to get better. You know, I said this some time ago. In a marriage, in the terms of the spontaneity or in any relationship, you know, things happen spontaneously. You know, like during the course of a day, I don't know how many times I would say to Nicola, I love you. Or she would say to me, I love you. Or I would kiss her, or I would hug her, or vice versa. But imagine if she came home one day and there was a note in the fridge that said, <clears throat> from now on, you will tell me you love me six times a day. You will kiss me 13 times a day. And you will hug me 14 times a day. Or else I'm not going to even believe that you love me, you know? Suddenly what was spontaneous becomes, oh my God, now I've got to achieve this. Now I've got to... My focus is now off her and onto some other thing that I've got to try and do to reach her. You see, that's what religion does to the gospel. It removes the spontaneity, the power of love. Praise God. I can only give my heart to a God who loves me for who I am, not for who I could be. And that's why to preach the gospel as if it is the news of what I have to do in order for him to give himself to me is not to present to me a God in love with me, but in love with a better version of me. Salvation is not a hope deferred, but a dream fulfilled. And only finding God willing to marry you as you are is a dream fulfilled. Oh, this is such good news we have, isn't it? Isn't it such good news we have for this world that God has done everything necessary because he loves us so much and he invites us. And that's why I think we cannot water down this message. We cannot water down the overwhelming love of God because I want to be overwhelmed every day. Because when I am overwhelmed, I find myself being carried along by the Spirit. When I get deep enough into the love of God, 
I'm getting carried in a new direction, a direction I would never have planned to go myself. And that's what it is to be filled and carried along by the Holy Spirit. So absolutely, speak this gospel to yourself. Minister to yourself. Let the Holy Spirit whisper through a thousand different ways every day how blessed you are, how blessed we are that we would find ourselves being transformed and bearing the fruit that God called us to bear, His life, relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Praise God.